You're listening to Authentic You, part of the Jesus Culture Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to Authentic You. This is CJ Liebscher. I'm here with Erica Myberg, and we are here to podcast. <laughs> we are back, believe it or not. We don't have a ton to say today because we are going to bring you guys Becky's message from an AY meeting we had in August. It's really good. You're going to love it. But what is AY, CJ? It's authentic, you, Erica. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but we have a women's ministry that you and I lead. It's called <laughs> Authentic You, but it's we just for also all, call it AY. All the I new know. listeners that join us today. I'm just helping you to help them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just want to say it's Thursday. Oh, we're it tired. feels like Monday. It's because we missed three days of work. Yeah, it's hard to come back. And I'm back, and it's Thursday, but it feels like Monday. I, Erica I'm and I having went to a hard San time. Diego, yes. and we got to sit at the beach. We had weird men talk to us at the beach. Well, I literally told CJ yesterday when we finally got back to the airport, and we are um, about to board the plane, I showed her, I said, the antennas on your head that like sends out messages, it signals, and it says, please come talk to me. It I says, asked you her, are welcome here. Yes, I asked her, can you push that down, switch that off, because I don't want anybody to come talk to us. I want the middle seat open. I, I kid you not, at when we went to San Diego, the whole plane, we were like, yay, that's going to be awesome. There's so many middle seats open. And a lady came down the aisle, made a beeline for us, and came and sat between us. I am so sorry I'm friendly and make people like, feel safe. I totally <laughs> mumbled at her. I'm like, this is your fault. Like, stop sending out the signals. So, like, I need to send out a signal. I hate everyone. Don't talk to me. Yes, and even then I think they're going to come because yes, it's just... because I'm nice. Your face or something. I, I, okay. I did tell her, do not make eye contact with anybody I didn't. when we get on this plane. I didn't. I was and very good. You but I good. also didn't make eye contact with the lady that sat with us, to be fair. And this is the signals. The antennas are except out. Except for you tried to blame me for the weird man at the beach, and that was you. Yeah. He wanted to talk to her, but she blamed me for it, but it was not me. So let's just be <laughs> clear. Well, this is clear. the thing. He tried to talk to me and I literally walked away. She left me. And so CJ kept the conversation going. There was no, I tried to look at my phone. I tried to get in the driver's seat and shut the door for a while. He just kept talking to me. So I don't know what else I should have done because I didn't feel like I could leave the car because I didn't, you didn't lock it. So I'm just like, I'm stuck here with a man who did inform me at one point he doesn't wear underwear. So that was good. But he I is an, safe. He is an undercover. He, well, that's what he said. Yeah. Undercover policeman. That, who doesn't wear underwear. Well, and <laughs> yes, and rescued traffic children, I think. And he ended the whole conversation telling me that I can get a job anywhere I want. Yes. And so basically, it felt like he was telling her like she could be a cop, but he also told us that us parking behind him and getting out with our phones made us look like predators. And so we also thought we were coming to steal children. So I'm not sure where, yes. where we landed, but I do very, know he doesn't wear underwear, as that was said a few very times. Very exciting three days away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
But we did sit at the beach. We did sit at the beach. We saw my son. Uh, we spend a lot of time with Ruben, and it's wonderful. He loves being with us, which is wonderful. And we ate cinnamon rolls that are amazing. Yes. I still think about it. I'm on a diet today. <laughs> How, <how's laughs> After it going? those three days. Well, it's not lunchtime yet. <laughs> so you, you haven't coffees. eaten yet, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I don't think we should talk about cinnamon rolls. I want to. This is not being your brother's keeper. To help you not eat the cinnamon rolls? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So we're back. Feels like Monday. And I drug myself out of bed. Oh my gosh, I, before we go into Becky's message, I'll leave you with this tidbit. I walked into my house to two ginormous piles of dog puke. And my daughter, Raya, is just looking at me. She's like, well, to be fair, it just happened like five minutes ago. Right. You walked into it after you came home yes. last night. Yes. yes. So I fly home, <sighs> walk in the door. Oh, and bending is off preaching and saving the world. Yes, in New yes. Zealand. And so then... Yeah. Raya gets up, has to work at 4 a.m., so she's up at, like, 3, and she's, like, wakes me up in one of those, like, that scare you. Yeah. You know? So I'm, like, ah! And then she's, like, I just wanted you to know there's a huge pile of throw-up outside your door. I'm all, thank you. And when I'm tired, I do everything possible not to wake up. So I'm, like, I'll get it later. It's, and then, of course, I'm laying there, like... You don't open your how eyes. How long are you going to yeah. let the dog puke soak oh. into your carpet and just sit there. So now I'm up. You've seen me clean up the dog mm-hmm. puke. Dash pukes. That's what he does. He's like, I don't feel good. I mean, just empty myself. So I clean it up a lot, but I dry heave my way through it the whole way. So my family's entertained by it. Ellie sent videos to you, I think. Yes, yeah, it's a horrid up. thing. Yes. I have witnessed it. It's- yes. So three o'clock in the morning, I'm scooping up dog puke, and <clears throat> then, oh, I didn't even tell you this. Then I left Sunny, our little dog, outside. So I finally have everything cleaned up. I climb in bed. I'm just falling asleep, and I'm like, do I hear? Whose dog is out barking <laughs> in the neighborhood? <laughs> it is in the middle of the night, people. <laughs> is that my dog? Oh, my God. And it was my dog. And then I got all nervous because I went out, and two of my neighbor's lights were on, and I was like, <gasps> Anyway. Because who wakes up at 3 o'clock at the night? (laughs) Besides my little dog screeching her head off locked outside. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I made it through the night. Here I am. (laughs) Welcome back. I had rough dreams after that. It was a crazy night, but woo, (laughs) it's Thursday. Here we are. Anyway, the message is going to be amazing. You're going to love it. It actually is really powerful. It is. Um, It's about Hagar, which I have an opinion about Hagar's name. And it was a little bit hard for me that she, when she texted me, I want to, <laughs> I want to preach at AY Authentic You about Hagar because <laughs> I was like, Lord, I think you who's made that? a mistake with Hagar's <laughs> name. I, who's who loves Hagar? You do need to apologize to anybody out there who is named. And if you're named Hagar, I'm sorry, you're probably beautiful. <laughs> is you think there's a lot of Hagars left in the world? I have no idea. Probably another. We are this- not in America. There's not a lot of Hagars. Spoken like a true American. Well, I, have you ever met a Hagar? No. Okay, thank you. That's two countries then. America. I just feel like Africa. what you're saying is wrong. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> it's just a feeling. 
It could be. <laughs> but I'm very sorry. You can take it up with God and just sort that thing out <laughs> because have, he does not make mistakes. So you're just uttering those words. Oh, that's true. He doesn't make mistakes, but man, he there's some weird names in the, the Bible. The mom made a mistake. Yes. Okay. There we go. <laughs> the mom made a mistake. And there's also some other names in the Bible that I'm like, really? That is true. Really? Anyway. But yes, we weren't alive then. And... <laughs> So, <laughs> yes. This is the best. You're welcome, everyone. Anyway, <laughs> enjoy Becky's sermon and let us know what you think about it. Um, there's, I, I tried to read it a couple of times to skirt around the Jerry Springer parts, but the Bible just gets ratchet sometimes. So we're going to read some, this is like some Jerry Springer stuff going on. Little Danielle Steele stuff going on. <laughs> you didn't know I was young and old enough to know Danielle Steele, but I do. Um, so, so there's no way around the awkward, okay? So we're just going to have to like, we're just going to read it and we're going to get through it. And we're all ladies here, so it's all good. And if you're not married, I'm sorry. It's going to be awkward. You're like, where are you? What are we reading? Genesis, Genesis chapter 16, we're going to read, and I want to set it up a little bit. You know Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. So Abraham, he is the, the patriarch of the people of God. Abraham gets a promise. He is, he, he is the father of Israel. So he has, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has Joseph, right? We get the 12 tribes from Abraham. So Abraham gets a promise in Genesis 12 that God is going to do this in his life, that God is going to give him many children, that God is going to make a great nation come from him. But Abraham receives this promise as Abram and his wife, Sarai, and they don't have any children. And Sarai is barren. And so he receives this promise, but he doesn't have children. She's barren. And in the process of waiting for the fulfillment of this promise, something a little Jerry Springer happens. Hagar. And so we're going to read this story and talk about our beautiful, poor woman, Hagar, okay? Hagar and Ishmael. So Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. He's received the promise for children, but he has no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. That's the awkward part. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So, so Sarai's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to intervene. We're going to do some surrogate action and you're going to get her pregnant and we're going to have this baby and we're going to make this promise come to pass. Sarai's, she's going to get stuff done for God. Okay. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, because he's a good husband who does, because he knows his place, and he listens to her. I need to highlight that verse and take it to your husbands. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife. Just tell that. Just Derek, listen. This is biblical. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And more Jerry Springer. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. 
And Sarai said to Abram, may the, may the wrong done to me be on you. So we're going to get into this in a minute, what that means. But basically, Hagar's getting a little haughty. Hagar is pregnant, and she's walking around like little Miss Thang because Sarai can't have babies, and I can't have babies. So she's looking with contempt on, on Sarai. That's what that means when you study that line right there. And we're going to talk about that very important detail. So Sarah gets mad. And uh, may, the wrong, uh, da, 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 may the wrong be done to me beyond you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. She's going to her husband and she's saying, deal with this woman. She's not treating me well. She's rubbing this in my face that she's pregnant and I'm not. And, and Sarah's mad. But Abram said to Sarah, I behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Typical man <laughs> response. Not my problem. Why don't you deal with it? Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen the one who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. You probably all think I'm a pretty extroverted person. And I understand why you would think that because what the heck am I doing up here? Like, why am I on a microphone? You must be extroverted and love to do this type of stuff because you do it so often. Um, I blame doing this on being a saved theater kid. That is the only reason. I'm actually not naturally extroverted. I grew up in drama and I loved theater and in my salvation, I have found a way <laughs> to continue to do this. I love, I would be, I would listen, I'd be, I would be in plays, you know? Like, so, so I have found some way to marry my love for drama and my love for the word of God and that is why. That is why I'm up here. Truly, I am actually, and I know, I know a lot of people don't believe this. Like, I am a true introvert. I'm re-energized by being alone. I don't actually walk into a party and like, hey, it's me, you know? I'm not that way. And you will find out how truly introverted I am when you put me around a true extrovert like CJ. <laughs> CJ is a true extrovert. And when I walk into places with CJ... I have never felt more timid and shy in my life, right, ladies? Like, when you're a true introvert, and you might think, like, oh, maybe I am a little extroverted, and then you get around a CJ, you're like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not at all. Like, I'm actually, I am actually, in my heart of hearts, more introverted than anything. And as an introvert, or if, you're in, if you have those kinds of ten tendencies, you can tend to feel unseen at times, because it's like, you know, the world, and, and especially in American culture, and, like, what we value, it is you know, kind of geared towards that extroverted personality. So I don't know if any of you are going to be able to relate to this, but you know when someone's waving across the room? Now a CJ, a true extrovert, and we love all the CJs in this room, is going to be like, yeah, of course that person's waving to me, because why wouldn't they? Because I'm the best. Everybody waves to me. And so they'll just wave. 
like without even thinking about it. I've seen her wave at people. I'm like, they're not looking at you. She's like, hi. <laughs> but if you're more introverted, that's like a step to take. Like I have the thought of what if they're not waving to me, you know, and I'm thinking about it and they keep waving and I'm like, are we making eye contact? Are we friends? I do if I wave to you and, and then, okay, so then I make the jump and I wave and then they start to walk towards me and I'm like, this is awesome. I was right this time. They're totally waving to me and then they walk right next to CJ and they're like, hi. I'm like, oh, you, that's awkward. Or you ever do that? You're like, that thing. You're like, hi, just stretching. I, I wasn't waving to you. I would never wave to anybody. <laughs> or have you ever been in a, a, at work or in a group of friends or I don't know, some social setting and you say something as an introvert, maybe you try to make a joke or you try to give an idea, but nobody hears you. And then an extroverted person, you're waving, you're, you all know, right? Or a man will say <laughs> your idea louder. And everybody's like, that is such a good idea. Or they'll repeat your joke and everybody hears it. And you're like, I... So you can, you know, you know what I'm saying? All introverted women need extroverted friends and vice versa. It is a beautiful thing. But the truth is, no matter what your personality type is, we have all felt unseen at times. Every single one of us have, have experiences with feeling unseen. This is a story about an unseen woman. And that's what I, I feel like God put this in my heart to share with you guys tonight. I was actually prepping, if you were at church on Sunday, I was in the middle of prepping that message, Stones of Remembrance. Now, my husband was gone in Nashville on a trip. He was gone Monday through Friday. I work full time. I have three kids. And it was my birthday week. And I was preaching on Sunday. So it was like such, thank you. It was such a crazy week. And I was staying. So the only time I had to work on my Sunday message was after the kids had gone to bed. So I just, I did, I, I put them all to bed. I put them in bed with me so they wouldn't wake up and interrupt me a bunch. And I would pop my computer open and I had my, my commentaries and my Bible. And I was working on Stones of Remembrance. Um, I for like, you know, started that weekend for five days from 10 p.m. till about 2 a.m. I was working on it. And one, during one of the nights, I'm tired, you know, and I'm in the midst of preparing that message. And I knew I was speaking here tonight on, on Thursday, the, the following Thursday. And I wanted, um, I have a couple of messages that I was thinking about, like, oh, I think that that would be good to share with our women. But I really wanted a fresh word, actually. I had been sitting in the story of Hagar for about two years. And I, and I knew there was something that the Lord was revealing to me in the story of Hagar, but it wasn't quite formed. And so one of the nights, it's like one in the morning, and I'm working on my Stones of Remembrance message. So I'm in Joshua 4, and I'm looking up Jordan River, and I'm looking up pictures of the Jordan, and I'm figuring out how deep the Jordan River is, like the things you do when you're prepping a message and trying to do my good exegesis and all that. And the Lord interrupts me, and he says, Hagar, I know. And I was like, Hagar, yes, Hagar. I've been sitting in that story. He said, Hagar, when you, when you speak to the authentic you women, I want you to tell them about Hagar and I want you to, to preach that story. I quickly pop open, it was, like a, it was like rhema word of the Lord. I pop open another document on my laptop and I'm like, Lord, I have no margin to prep a message. And if you know me, I like to prep. I, I like to come prepared and I like to put my time into things like this. And I said, Lord, I, have, I don't have margin. I need the word and I need it now. What do you want to say to our women? And I just, just started pouring out of me. And I just started typing, typing faster than I could, could keep up. So all that to say, I really do want, I, I hope that there's an expectation in your heart to receive from this, 
this story because I really do feel like it's something specific for us here, for every single one of you that's here. So this is a story about an unseen woman. Hagar is so unseen. Hagar is so unwanted. She's so unloved that she flees. She, now we're going to talk about what it means as a servant in biblical times to flee your owners. This is a serious offense. This is a punishable by death, what she is doing. But she is so mistreated. And so un, unseen, unvalued, unwanted, unrecognized, so rejected that she flees the situation. But God shows up in the middle of this unexpected story of an unseen woman and he sees her in her time of need. And that's what I feel like he wants to tell us tonight, that God sees you even when you don't expect it. God has a habit of looking upon the unexpected. He has a habit of finding us in unexpected places and unexpected spaces. Hagar! Listen, she is, she is unwanted and rejected because she is not carrying promise. She's carrying their failure to believe God's promise. So Sarah gets so upset. This isn't happening. I'm supposed to bear children. This is what a woman does. To be barren is a curse. Okay, so I'm going to take this into my own hands and we're going to make something happen and we're going to make this promise that we received. We're going to make it happen. Abraham, here's Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant. Now, you know what Sarah's probably thinking? It's Abraham's business that's the problem. That's why I can't get pregnant. And all of a sudden, what happens is we find out it's not Abraham's problem. It's Sarah's problem. And Sarah's frustration and her pain, and her anger, and her own rejection, and her own feelings of shame, and all of the disappointment of not being able to bear children gets pointed onto poor Hagar, who's now just proven it's actually your fault. It's, it's yours. You're the problem. Abraham can have children. You can't. Here, I am pregnant. I didn't ask for this. I'm carrying failure. I'm not carrying promise. I'm carrying failure. I'm carrying disbelief. I'm carrying your doubt. I am carrying your mistake. And, and so this is, you know, this is the situation she's in. Hey, she hates her. She's so mistreated. She flees. And again, I think she has to be being treated. It's a little bit more than maybe some, some mean looks and harsh words. Because for a pregnant, servant, Egyptian woman to flee basically is suicide. No one's going to take her. She's not going to find refuge. She's pregnant. She's unwanted. She's, she's a servant, right? And she flees. And so, so all that to say, she is in a desperate, desperate situation. And God himself, the angel of the Lord finds her Theology on the angel of the Lord and what that means, and we read that a lot in scripture. I don't have time to go into all the study of it, but scholars believe that's Jesus. It's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. Jesus shows up and finds this unexpected, unwanted, outcast Egyptian slave. She's not even a part of God's plan. Hagar's situation is not a part of God's design for Abraham and Sarah. It's not a part of, of God's design for Israel. Ishmael is a blip. It is a tear. It is a human effort mistake. That is what is happening. And God himself, you guys, shows up to this woman. Why? Because he sees us. He sees us when we don't expect him to. He sees what we don't want to look at. 
He sees what we want to forget. God himself, angel of the Lord, shows up to this woman. I just think, why? Like, why didn't he forget about her? Wouldn't it have made more sense to just not even include her in this story? This is, that's what Abraham and Sarah wanted to do. They realized we've made a mistake. We didn't trust the Lord. And we've gotten Hagar pregnant and that wasn't a part of the plan and it's not what this was supposed to look like and we actually doubted God and now it's all getting weird and, and feelings are in the mix, right? There's anger, there's pain and, and now the plan is starting to go awry so just cast her out. Why wouldn't God just let her die and just forget about it? Like, oh, that was, that was a black mark on the record. That wasn't part of my plan. That was man stepping in. That was an oopsie. Why is she a part of this story? Because God doesn't waste anything. Because God doesn't waste life. God doesn't, even things born of our own human effort, he will redeem. When you are carrying your own effort, when you are carrying things birthed from your mistrust, when you are carrying things birthed out of your own disbelief, out of your own doubt, out of our own failure to believe that God will do what he said he will do, God will still show up. He will still find you in the wilderness. He will still find you in your vulnerable places and he will see you and he will redeem that because that's who he is. He just doesn't waste life. He doesn't waste anything. I think about how many times I've struggled to believe that God would see me. I have still countless situations where I think, oh, I blew it. Like that, you know, this is Abraham and Sarah. Like they blew it. I, they messed this up. This woman, this baby, mistake. We messed up. We got it. Let's try again. How many times have we had a product of something that, yeah, it, that was our mistake? We blew it. And we just shove those things aside like God could never use them. Like God could never redeem them. Like he, would, like he would be ashamed of them. God wasn't ashamed of Hagar. He went searching for her and found her in the wilderness and then speaks to her. He sees her in her most desperate, most vulnerable, most outcast state. God sees her. Listen, when you are fleeing, God is seeing. When you are outcast, he is chasing you down. And he finds her. And not only does he find her, he loves her. He loves Hagar. He talks with her. He encounters her. He calls her by name. He sees her. In her most vulnerable state, he sees her. God sees you. He sees you at your worst and he loves you. He sees you when you're rejected and he loves you. He sees you in your victory. He sees you in your defeat. He sees you on the mountaintop. He sees you in the valley. And listen, woman of God, not only does he see you, he loves you. And not only does he love you, he's going to purpose you. And not only does he purpose you, he's going to promise you. And not only is he promising you, he's going to encounter you. That is who he is. That is what Hagar experienced. That's what this story is about. He's the God who sees and he looks after you. Hagar's response is so beautiful. She says, truly, I have seen the one who looks after me. She has this revelation. You are so much more than the God of provision. You are so much more than the God of salvation. You are so much more than saving me and giving me a drink of water as I'm here pregnant and thirsty in the wilderness and maybe about to die. You are so much more than the God who finds me. You are the God who is looking out for me. 
He's the God who is looking after you. He is looking after your kids. He's looking after your friends. He's looking after your spouse. He's looking after your situation. Because he sees you and he loves you. He sees you and he loves you. I, a lot of you know a lot of my story. You know, I just think that too often we, we don't think that God sees. I think we think nobody sees us because as women, we see everything. My husband jokes. He's like, Becky, you would make a great detective. I walk in the house. I'm like, who spilled? I walk in the house from work. I don't even see the living room. I'm like, what broke? <laughs> the couch has moved. Someone, someone got hurt today. <laughs> you know, you just like, as women, we're so attuned. We know when our friends are off. You see your friend, you're like, what's wrong? What happened? Like, how'd you know? I'm on my period. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> we're so in tune. We're sensitive. That's the way God created us. We see. We see when someone looks sad. We see when someone's on the outskirts. We see when someone's going through something. We see when they're happy. We, we see everything our kids do. We see our husbands. We see. We see. But can we be women who believe that God sees us more? Can we be women who believe that God is looking after us? And I think if we're honest, we don't. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, there's areas that we, we, we feel like he's not looking after us. So a, a lot of you know my story. My, my parents divorced when I was five. My dad was not in the picture, never made an attempt to be a part of our life. I have two siblings. They were married for 14 years. They got divorced when I was five. And although I, the, the Lord brought me a really amazing stepfather who was a part of my life from an early age, and he was a kind, loving man, I still was angry that I didn't have my dad, as we all would be, right? Because that's how it's supposed to be. And I was angry, and I was hurt, and I struggled with depression, and just so much pain. And I, I wore the label of orphan and fatherless and girl whose dad left her. Like, I wore that so comfortably in my formative years that it just led me to making decisions out of that identity, making friends out of that identity, meeting men out of that identity. And I acted out of that for so long. That drove, it was who I was. Of course I would act this way. My dad left me. Of course I would act this way. I was raised by a single mom. Like all these things. And I really just wore that and I was comfortable with that. And I let that, and I, and I let that be the way that I viewed God. I was the girl whose dad left her. Therefore I was the girl whose God left her. And that's how I acted. And um, I actually, I, I thought it was so crazy. I thought because I never saw my dad, I thought he must live like in Alaska. You know, I'm in Indiana and he must live so far away because I, you know, from five to 18, I could count on one hand the times that I saw him. So I thought, surely he lives so far away. That's why he's never around. I remember discovering at 12 or 13 years old that he lived 25 minutes away. He lived 25 minutes away my whole life and he never once attempted to, to come see us. We went to him a couple times and that like threw, it, that, that did something to me. That, that turned a switch in me and, and I really ramped up my acting out of pain when I learned that. I remember I was so mad. And so anyway... You can imagine the kind of decisions that that makes for you and the kind of situations that gets a teenage girl in. And right before I was, after I graduated high school, right before I was about to, I had found Jesus, he found me. 
and I was about to move to California to do ministry school, there was this conference called the Father's Embrace Conference that the church I was attending was putting on. It was a vineyard church, Father's Embrace. It was a ministry out of uh, one of the Carolinas. A man named Jack Frost wrote a book called Experiencing the Father's Embrace. And this was a traveling ministry, and they had these conferences, and the church was like, this is all about father wounds, so it's going to be fun. Come on. Come on out. Some lighthearted content. I was like, awesome. Derek was drumming for it at the time. We were dating, and he's like, I got a drum for worship. And I'm like, ah, I don't really want to go there. I had kind of written off all Father God things. Like, I'm great with Holy Spirit. I love Jesus. But Father God is like, eh, you know. And so I go to, you know, as a supportive girlfriend I was, and to watch my cute boyfriend be the drummer at this conference. And I kind of sat in the back, and I'm listening to all this father content. Stories just like mine stories in the Bible just like mine, and just the power of God was there. It was one of the most anointed tents I'd ever been under. They did it in a tent, like old school revival style. And I could feel, you know, when the Lord's doing something, you just, you're trying to fight it, but I knew it was coming, and I'm like, I am going to have a reckoning with this, with the Father. Like, I know it's coming. And I was just waiting for them to do ministry time. Now, they, they did it interesting. They wouldn't do ministry time until the very end of the conference. And I'm like, wow, they're just waiting for it to all build up. You know, like, what's that going to be like on the third night? And I knew, like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. And so the last night, you know, I'm, I'm encountering God, and he's speaking to me, and it was really beautiful. But I knew I was, I was still holding on to this. You weren't there. And I have all these painful memories of when my dad wasn't there. And if my dad wasn't there, then my God wasn't there because God is a father. And I had all these like really important memories that I would hold on to and I'd kind of obsess over them. And it was just this toxic, you know, you, you get the picture, this unforgiveness. So this conference comes and they call ministry, you know, they do ministry time and, and I fight it. And long story short, I get my way up there and they, they minister in couples. It's so beautiful. They minister in husband and wife couples. And so I find this couple and I fall into her arms and I'm like, I need to forgive my dad. And I just begin to weep and weep and weep. She held me for 45 minutes. I remember I pulled away. I tried to pull away at some points and she was just like, get in here. Just like her big perfumed bosom was just like, God bless the bosoms that are going to be up here tonight. Like I, I needed that. I needed that floral bosom. And she just kept pulling me in every time I tried to pull away. I'm like, I need a tissue. And I'm snotting. And I'm like, every, every tear of anger is pouring out of my face. And I'm just snotting all over her. Her shirt, like, to her belly button just soaked. And she's like, just forgive him. God loves you. He's your father. And I'm just weeping. It was one of the most powerful, most transforming encounters I've ever had in my life. And what was happening in me while all that was going on is the Lord was playing this movie reel of my life and all these memories that I'd come back to. Like, well, what about when you weren't there? What about when I got hurt? What about when I was alone with that guy I shouldn't have been alone with? Where were you, Dad? What about when I rode a bike? What about my, my 10th birthday? Just all these memories I had. I needed a dad. And the Lord showed me this movie reel of those memories, and he showed me where he was. He showed me where he was. And he said, Becky, 
You are not the girl whose dad left her. You are the daughter I have been fathering from the day you took your first breath. You are the one that I created, the one that I call mine. And that, he saw me. He saw me. He sees you. And he doesn't just see you, woman. He loves you. And he doesn't just love you. He has a purpose for you. And it was my Hagar moment. And I was just like so desperate and angry and frustrated and misunderstood and in pain and full of unforgiveness. I felt like I was just sitting in the wilderness of my own frustration and, you know, whatever. And he comes to me and says, I see you. And I love you. Because he sees you and he has a purpose for you. Listen to what he does. This, this woman in a difficult circumstance gets a promise about her son. What does he do? What's this whole encounter about? It's about what she's carrying. This rejected baby, this baby born of man's own effort, this baby who is not a part of God's plan, this baby that was never intended This thing that she's carrying and is going to birth, God says, that thing right there, I will purpose. That thing that you're carrying, I will use. That thing right there, I will redeem. That thing right there, I care about, I will breathe on. And he purposes that baby and he names him. Ishmael is the first baby to be named by God before he's born, putting him in the company of Jesus and John the Baptist. Don't tell me God doesn't care about what you're carrying. Don't tell me God doesn't care about what's been rejected. Because when man casts you out, God brings you in. And he purposes Hagar. He says, you're going to have a multitude. Your children are going to be a multitude, more than you can count. And that baby right there, yeah, he has a name. He's going to be Ishmael. And this is what he's going to be. And is he going to be forgotten? No, not at all. He purposes her. He sees her. And then he purposes her. You might be carrying something that God never intended, but I'm telling you, he will use it. He will redeem it. This is what he does. And what I love is he gives her this promise in her humanity. Let's go back to that. She looked on Sarai with contempt. That means she was, she was being a little sassy. Like in her own humanity, you know, I'm kind of diving into this story and I'm like, should I preach this story? Because Hagar's kind of there because of her. Like, all these scholars talking about that phrase looked on her with contempt. I'm like, ooh, Hagar didn't handle this perfectly. Maybe Hagar's there, like maybe she got herself cast out. She should have been more humble. He has to tell her, go back and submit to her. So she wasn't submitted. She started like, you know, again, maybe she's making side comments like, hmm, you know, look who's pregnant now, you know, or whatever. I don't know what's going on. Look, thou wast art pregnant, you know? (laughs) However they talked back then. (laughs) You areth not the father. (laughs) (laughs) And Hagar didn't handle, she doesn't handle herself perfectly. And I'm so moved by this story because God still purposes her. He doesn't give you a promise based on your performance. He will purpose you in your imperfections. He gives her this despite her humanity. And I think way too often we cast ourselves out. We disqualify ourselves. 
And we're like, well, I'm, I'm, this is my own doing. I'm here because I messed up. It's my own fault. I deserve it. How many women do you talk to? And they're in situations where they're like, I deserve this. Like when you get down to it, the root is they believe they deserve to be mistreated. They believe they deserve to be overlooked. They believe they deserve to be cast out. God shows up. The angel of the Lord. At some point tonight, you are going to let, that is going to hit you and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I need to go back to 810 and stand up and rip my bra off and whip around my head and throw it on the stage because, oh my gosh, the angel of the Lord shows up to Hagar, her imperfect self cast out, shows up to her and says, I see you and that baby will be blessed and I'm going to name him. You might be there pregnant in the wilderness under that tree in a horrible situation because you got yourself there. But God knew that was going to happen and he knew that's what we were going to do. And so he sends Jesus and who bore the weight of your punishment and who bore the weight of your sin and who bore the stripes for your healing and who put your iniquities upon himself so that you would never have to experience the wrath of that sin. You would never have to experience the heaviness of humanity because Jesus came and he took it upon himself so you, woman, could be free. So you, woman, could not be bound so that you could not get what you deserve. You don't have to, you know, you made your bed, now lay in it. I'm sorry, Jesus lied in my bed and rose up from the grave so that I can walk in freedom and redemption and truth and promise. That's who he is. That's what he does. And when God speaks, nobody can change it. Listen. Thank you. She comes back, and now her son's named. And now something's going to go down. Can you imagine what Sarah was like when she got back? Like, I'm sorry, excuse me? Oh, the angel of the Lord showed up to you. Oh, he named that, that baby. Oh, really? How many times have you showed up like, hey, I got a promise. This is what God says. I'm walking in something new. And people want to talk about you, discourage you. They want to knock you down, that tall poppy syndrome. I don't want anybody to be taller than me. So I'm just going to, I'll backhanded compliment you. I'll undermine you. I'll try to discourage you, pull the rug out from under you. But when God speaks, nobody can change it. No man could stand in the way of Hagar's destiny. They tried to cast her out, to be left for dead and never return. And the angel of the Lord shows up to that woman and says, I am sorry, sister. Get back up. You've got a baby to have and a promise to fulfill. Go back in there and show them who spoke to you. This is what he does. Isaiah 22, 22, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no man can shut, and what he shuts, no man can open. There is a promise over your family, over your life, over your children, over your relationships. There's a promise over you, and it doesn't matter what other women, what men, what jealous people, what insecurities, whatever family situation, doesn't matter what comes against you verbally, God is for you. And when he speaks, nobody can change it. Nobody, not even you. Good thing, sheesh. I didn't want to preach. I'm like, 
I'm not that. You could ask CJ and Banning. I'm like, nope, I don't want to do that. I didn't grow up in church. I, don't, I didn't memorize the books of the Bible. I didn't do felt boards. My mom's not a pastor's wife. She doesn't play the organ. I don't own a pair of high heels, like whatever. I've done X, Y, and Z. I've experienced A, B, and C. This is what people say about me. I don't think I can preach. God goes, good things your words don't carry as much weight as mine. (laughs) And then she receives instruction to go back to Sarah. What is this saying to us? Every part of the Bible has something we need to glean and understand. Why does he send her back? You need to know your assignment. You need to know who you're called to submit to, to serve, to, to be around. And sometimes God won't take you out of your circumstance. He just covers you in them. He sends her back. That's powerful. He sends her back and says, go back to your mistress and submit to her. But what's different? She's covered now. What's different? She's purposed. What's different? She's been encountered. Now she's carrying the word of the Lord over the word of man. Sometimes your breakthrough isn't that your circumstances change. It's that God is following you into them. But if you don't know your assignment, if you don't know what he's saying, if you're looking for everything external to change, you'll miss it. You have to know your assignment. And then we recognize who God is and what does it allow us to do? Sweet Hagar names God. When you recognize who God is, then you can accurately name him. She is the first person in the Bible to name God. A pregnant servant Egyptian refugee woman (laughs) is the first person to name Yahweh. He uses the unexpected. God has a tendency to do great things through rejected women. Just stop right now for a second. I feel like someone needs to hear that. God has a tendency to do great things through women that have been cast out. And he does it over and over and over again in the Bible. So whoever that is for, whatever rejection you've faced, whatever lie you have bound yourself to that says, I won't do anything great because of what has been done to me, what God has done for you is greater and he will use you and you could name God. But you know what? Why does she name him? Because she encountered him. She, couldn't, she didn't give him a name until after she heard his word. You have to hear the word of God before you go about naming his nature. Get in the word. Get in prayer. Get with friends who hear the voice of God. Listen to the word. Go to, you know, like do all these things. Get, get the word of God in you. And then look up and say, now I know who you are. Because what happens is when we, do, when we don't do it in that order, we tend to give God names that aren't his. And we start to name God things that aren't even his nature. Well, you're the God who doesn't care about me. You're the God who doesn't see me. You're the God who doesn't care about my finances. You're the God that blesses everybody else but me. You're the God who won't let, help me lose this 10 pounds of baby weight. You're the God who whatever did to this, 
did this to my child, that you're the God who, you know, whatever. Because you haven't encountered his nature and his word to give him a name. You've encountered your own experience and you've named him off of that. Or you've named him off what other people have done to you. She named him after he spoke. If you want to know who God is, you have to meet with him. And then she's able to say, you are the one who looks after me. And she gives him this name, Elroy, E-L-R-O-I, the God who sees. And that is the name that God decides to first take on from Hagar. The worship team can come on up. I want to do something. I did preach short. I said I was going to preach. I said, I told my husband, I said, husband, man of God. I don't call him that. I said, Derek. <laughs> I should probably call him that. I said, Derek, I'm going to preach short tonight. And I want to do something fun at the end. He goes, no, now you're a true preacher. When you say I'm going to preach short and you go 45 minutes. I said, I'm not going to. I don't know how long I've went. They didn't start the clock. Um, he wants to reveal who he is to you right now. He wants to reveal who he's not tonight. And that's what I feel like we're going to go after. So I, I had this idea and CJ's awesome and gracious and extroverted enough to say, yeah, let's go for it. We have these trash buckets. Look, they're going to come up here in just a minute. See these buckets? What do they say? Trash. You have an index card. You have, yeah, we're going to give an offering of trash. You have an index card. I want you to get an index card in, in, in the seat in front of you. You have an index card, a white index card. Grab that and a pen front row. They're going to pass them down. Are they going to get them all the way down here? You can keep the, keep the lights low. It was nighttime when Hagar encountered God, so we got to keep it low. And listen... We have been praying into this, the, the ministry team here, CJ and Erica and myself, and, and, and we're going to go back into worship. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that index card and I want you to write down, I want you to just be honest, all the things that you don't believe God has seen. All the names you maybe have inaccurately given him. You don't see me. You don't see my finances. You don't, you don't see this addiction. You don't see my husband's addiction. You don't see my marriage. You don't see my singleness. You don't see my pain. You don't see my depression. You're the God who lets me down. You're the God who didn't come through. Like it might be hard to get honest, but your breakthrough is on the other side of that. So if you feel that tension, I want you to lean in. And maybe you need six index cards and thank God there's no judgment here because we got them. We got plenty. Maybe you need one. And I want you to write that down. I want you to write that, that name you've, you've inaccurately given our God, our Savior, our Jehovah, Elroy. I want you to write that down. Any area you think that's been hidden from him, any place that you feel like, I'm in the wilderness and I need, I need you to look over this way. I need you to come and see me. I want you to write it down and then I, can we have our ministry team come? And they're going to be holding these trash buckets. We're going to be worshiping our guts out worship for your friend 
and they're going to come up here, and they're going to be standing up here with these buckets. Yep, come on up. And I want you, listen, ladies, I want you to be bold tonight. I want you to come, and you put that lie where it belongs in this trash bucket. If you want to rip it up first, if you want to spit on it, if you want to blow your nose on it, you just you can destroy that thing. You can crumple it, fold it, make a paper airplane, or you could just gently toss it in here. <laughs> And these women are going to stand with you and we are going to, we're going to cheer, we're going to praise, we're going to press in, we're going to find our freedom and we're going to meet with God tonight. You guys can spread out a little bit more, yep. And then these women will pray for you. They can put their trash bucket down and if you want to snot on someone's shirt the way I did, at that, there's some good bosoms up here <laughs> that'll hold you and pray for you and pray you into a right encounter. They'll pray you into a right meeting. They'll pray you in, they'll usher you in to find out the true name of your God, who he is to you in your time of need, that he sees you, that he's after you. God says, he says to Hagar, I've heard your affliction. I just find it so amazing the afflictor. She was an afflictor to Sarah. She was an afflictor. She was an agitator. She got herself there. And God said, you imperfect woman in your humanity, I listen to your affliction. You don't deserve this. I'm going to see you. I'm going to promise you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to call you. That's what he wants to do tonight. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for these women. Thank you for the ways that you see us. God, I pray that you would, you would move tonight. Soften our hearts, God, the areas that have been calloused by our experiences, by our mistreatment, by, by disappointments. I just pray that you would soften every hardened part, that you would begin to break down walls you would begin to remove things that hold us back from, from walking into our fullness, from stepping into our assignment, from going back into our circumstances, covered, confident, and called. Would you remove every stronghold? We don't want to be locked up, women. We don't want to be locked up. We want to be free. We want to step into the fullness. We want, to, we want to access all that you paid for. Jesus, may you get your full reward. Don't you want to access what he paid for on the cross? Don't you want to step into your full inheritance? God, we make a commitment tonight to meet with you before we name you. We make a commitment tonight to encounter and hear your word before we assign your nature. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast and if you like the show, be sure to leave us a review. Connect with us on Instagram at authenticyou.ay. We would love to hear from you.
Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast. And if you like the show, be sure to leave us a review. Connect with us on Instagram at authenticyou.ay. We would love to hear from you.